We're in John chapter 7. I'm teaching from a quirky uh, uh, iPad, so uh, we'll see how that goes. At any rate, um, let, let's just jump right in. We'll, uh, I'll pick it up in context. We'll read through the verses we covered last week, jump into some of the verses we're going to cover today, and we'll just get rolling. So it says that the Jews, verse 2, Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, and Jesus' brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works of that you're doing, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Come. And when he said these things to them, he remained uh, in Galilee. But, verse 10, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. And then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? Last week, we focused on the fact that Jesus' timing is different than man's timing. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And what we saw was that for the unbelieving world, the, the way and the time is always right to follow the impulse of the flesh. And here at this moment in John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers fall into that category. Uh, they don't recognize their Messiah uh, they don't recognize his mission, and they don't recognize his methods. And yet, ironically, they are going up to Jerusalem in recognition of a religious gathering. In other words, they're following tradition, but they're really not following truth. This is the, the key. And their attitude is simply this, that, hey, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, then you'd prove it by going public in Judea. And you'd capitalize on the opportunity that the Feast of Tabernacles offers to go public. And so, you know, you're, you're blowing it kind of thing. But Jesus points out that his brothers have a timing issue. Um, whereas their timing, timing is in harmony with the world, uh, Jesus' timing is in harmony with God the Father. Now, it's not that Jesus isn't going up to observe the festival in Jerusalem at all. No, we read in verse 10 that he's delaying uh, his departure according to the Father's timeline. See, Jesus knows that the Jews are looking for him to spring a trap. And so verse 10 tells us that after his brothers departed, then Jesus went up in secret. Now, because this was a mandated feast, and the Jews had three mandated feasts in their calendar, and these mandated feasts were those that every, everyone, all the Jews were required to attend because it was mandated. So because of that fact, um, you would have groups of people that would caravan to Jerusalem for observant, uh, observance of these events. And so what the Jewish leaders were doing is they were watching these groups that would come up from the Galilee region. They're watching them like a hawk because they want to find Jesus in one of these groups so that they can kill him. And so this raises the question, how did Jesus know this? How was it that Jesus knew that this was going down? Well, obviously, first of all, he's God, right? And he has supernatural discernment. 
But as well, Jesus demonstrates what law enforcement officers call situational awareness, right? He is situationally aware that the moment that he healed that man on the Sabbath at the pool of Bethsaida, if you were with us when we were in John chapter 5, you'll recall the moment that he did that, the Jews sought to kill him. John chapter 5, verse 16, for this reason, because he healed that man at the pool of Bethsaida, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now that's the key to our third point today. We'll come back to that. But, but just as general information, that's why they want to kill him now. And verse 6 as well tells us that the people wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. And so Jesus is situationally aware um, that the, the, he's on the radar of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They want to kill him. And, uh, and so, you know, he, he's aware of these things. Brief point of application right here as we're going through this. Like Jesus, understand both you and I, we have both of these capacities that are available to us today. We have the capacity to exercise discernment, spiritual discernment that comes from heaven. And as well, we have the capacity to exercise situational awareness in the lives that we live. Proverbs 22 verse 3, as well as Proverbs 27 verse 12, say the same thing. And by the way, when the Bible repeats itself, uh, it's a good indication that we should pay attention. And here's what both of those verses say. They say, a prudent person... <clears throat> foresees danger and takes precautions, the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And the difference between the two, between being a prudent person who foresees danger and takes precautions, and the difference between being a simpleton that goes blindly on suffering the consequences, the difference between the two is spiritual discernment. The psalmist declared this, Psalm 119, verse 66, teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commands. The writer of Hebrews details where this instruction comes from, saying, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have, here it is, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, what's being said here is that discernment comes through hearing and obeying God's word. Proverbs 25 verse 2 tells us that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. That phrase search out, it means literally to examine thoroughly. And the idea is that you spend time in the word searching out the deep things of God. Joshua said this to, uh, to the people of Israel in Joshua 1.8. He said, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, this stands in stark contrast to Jesus' brothers, Right? Because Jesus, he filters everything through the word of God revealed in scripture so that he's in harmony with the father. Um, but his brothers, they filter everything through their natural senses and understanding. 
And we see this struggle between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, not only in his brothers, but we see it here in our text as well in verse 12 as we continue. Some are open to Jesus and his message, but others, like his brothers, reject him outright. Verse 12, there were, there were much complaining among the people concerning Jesus. Some said, he's good, and others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, verse 13 tells us, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Verse 12, there was much complaining among the people. That word complaining literally means a secret debate. And uh, we see the reason that it's a secret debate in verse 13, because the, the Jews want to kill Jesus, right? Um, the people were afraid of the Jews. When the Bible mentions that the people were afraid of the Jews, the Jews is a specific reference to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And Jesus tells us back in verse 7 that the Jews, the religious leaders, they hate him. Why? Because he tells the truth. They hate him for what the truth says about them. That the truth reveals the works that they're doing as evil. We've experienced this too, haven't we? Right? You, you speak the truth. Some people are like, you can't handle the truth. They can't handle the truth. Right? And so what happens is that when you speak truth to someone who really doesn't like the truth, then they don't like you. That's kind of how it goes. So rather than receiving Jesus' message and repenting of their evil deeds, their response was to reject the message and say, we're going to kill you for bringing that message, right? And if you sided with Jesus, if you spoke openly about Jesus, well, then they were going to kill you too. And so the people kept their debate in secret for fear of the Jews. Let me just give an obvious point of application on, on that point. That, that this reflects the world that we are living in right now. That there are those people in the world, you know them, they're family, they're friends, they're people that you work with perhaps. That what happens is, People hate Jesus and they hate his words and they hate what, what Jesus' word says about them. And so if you associate with Jesus, then you are subject to their wrath and to their ridicule. And because of that intimidation, the temptation for you and me is to remain silent. <clears throat> the Bible says in Proverbs 29 verse 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap but trusting the Lord means safety. Now, let me illustrate this with, with a couple of things. Um, and, and this first illustration is, is just, a, it, it's just kind of a parallel. Don't read more into it than, than is intended. But um, I was listening to a guy uh, recently on the radio, and, and he was, you know, lots of people in our current presidential election, there's, there's lots of uh, polls and people conducting various polls. And most of the polls are showing that Joe Biden is overwhelmingly ahead. But there, the, this radio interview was a guy who was interviewed who, who insists that, that actually Trump is going to win. And they, they said, you know, what makes your poll different? And he went on to explain uh, a dynamic called shy voters. And, and basically, the, the people lie. They, they, that, that President Trump is so unpopular that when a poller calls and, and puts this person on record, 
then they flat out lie and it skews the, the, uh, the polls. Now, whether or not that's true, we certainly know it was true in 2016. It remains to be true if it's, if it's true in 2020. Um, however, this is the dynamic, and so he had come up with a clever way of, of asking questions where he basically asked them, who are your neighbors voting for? See, people won't throw themselves under the bus, but they'll throw their neighbors under the bus very, very handily. So he asked this question, who are your neighbors voting for? And they're like, oh, they're voting for Trump or whatever. So this is how he bases, you know, his poll. Um, I, I tell you that story only to illustrate the fact that, you know, these people are in fear of the Jews. Um, they won't talk openly about Jesus, and it's kind of the same dynamic. Now, the second story is, is, a, is, a, is a, um, it's a literal example of, of how this plays out. Um, and and I, I tell it really to my shame, because years ago when I was in the fire department, uh, a Bible-believing Christian, right, fairly new in my faith, but still I was a follower of the Lord. And we went to this call, and this gal had, she had attempted to commit suicide. And she had hit rock bottom, and we got there. Her place was a mess. She was a mess. And, and uh, the cops are there, and, and, you know, we're all there. There's, you know, five or six, you know, firemen there. And, um, and so the, they're going to 5150 this gal, you know, and they're going to put her on, on this hold because she's a danger to herself, obviously, and she's just losing it. And, uh, and she, in the process, she, she screams out and she says, where are you, God? Well, I was, I was there to tell her where God was. And I chickened out. I chickened out. Why? Because I was afraid of all the people that were in the room. I was afraid of what, you know, everybody would, would think or say about me, you know. And so, you know, the fearing people is a dangerous trap, Right? And so that's what I fell into. And here's, here's my, my great regret is that God had strategically placed me there to proclaim hope. To proclaim hope. And I didn't. I chickened out. And I want to encourage you guys that God has placed you in your circle of influence so that you can proclaim hope. And, and in many ways, I'm preaching to the choir. Last week, you know, as I gave the message and as I gave an invitation at the end of the message... We saw about 15, 16 people make professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And it occurred to me that the majority of those people had come at the invitation of a friend who, who knows and loves Jesus and was concerned about, you know, their friend and, and all. And, and so, man, we are here to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. Well, verse 14, it tells us now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? And again, this is the Jews, and this is, this is focusing on the religious leaders. And understand that the teaching of the day was limited to a group of men who had impressive credentials. Uh, they had to go to the right schools. Uh, they had to study under the right teachers. They had to quote the right rabbis. And what they're saying is, hey, this Jesus guy doesn't do any of that. And they're saying it as a, as a condemnation, as a ridicule, um, because since they couldn't attack his teaching, because his teaching was right on, they went after his credentials, saying this guy didn't go to the right schools. And this leads us to our next point. If you're taking notes, not only number one is Jesus' timing different than man's timing, but number two Jesus' message is different than man's message. 
Mark's gospel tells us this. It tells us that Jesus taught differently than the teachers in Israel taught. Uh, Mark 1 verse 22 says, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And that word authority, literally, it means power, it means jurisdiction, it means rule, and it means reign. Um, see, the teachers of, of Jesus' day, they cited uh, quotes and the doctrinal positions of noted rabbis, and that's what they used as the authority of their teaching, and they rarely taught boldly. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught boldly. Here's why. He taught with authority because he had authority. Jesus taught with authority because he knew what he was talking about. Jesus taught with authority because he believed what he taught. And Jesus taught with authority because he was speaking for God. And so notice in verse 16, Jesus answers them and he tells them this. He says, my doctrine is not mine, but it's his who sent me. I'm teaching the doctrine of the Father is what he's saying. And, and that, that word doctrine, we understand Doctrine is a set of beliefs, and it's a set of beliefs that governs not only what you preach, but also what you practice. That's hugely important. Uh, I, years ago, I was, I was uh, asked to be on a radio program, and they were interviewing me. And they were actually, during this time, they were interviewing a lot of pastors, because what had just happened was there was a great debate about same-sex marriage. And so uh, this particular radio program wanted to... Uh, to talk to different people. Um, and, uh, and so they were asking, hey, they asked me a very specific question. Do you, Pastor Ted Leavenworth, do you believe that practicing homosexuality is sin? And I answered them and I said, listen, <clears throat> I do believe that practicing homosexuality is a sin in the exact same way that I believe practicing adultery is sin. And that I believe uh, engaging in fornication is sin. And that I believe that stealing is sin. I said, but the most important thing isn't what I, Ted Leavenworth, believe. It's why I believe it. And here's why I believe it. I believe it because God said it. The writer of Romans says this in Romans chapter 3, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. See, here's the deal, guys. We have temptations every day to embrace the things that we like to hear and to reject the things that we don't like to hear. You know, if you're a Trump voter, you love to embrace the, the different people that say Trump's going to win. Yes, I like that. You reject all the other things that say Joe Biden's going to win. Who knows? We'll find out Tuesday or uh, maybe two months after that. Who knows? But we'll find out eventually, right? But, but the, the issue is, is that we have a compass to live our life by, right? That's the issue. And so often, and I, I use this illustration all the time, forgive me, you've heard it probably 10 times from me, but it's so perfect. You know, I take, uh, you know, years ago I had a little boat, 18-footer. I go over to Catalina all the time. Nine times out of 10, you go over to the island, it's 26 miles across, you get halfway, you can't see the mainland you left and you can't see the island where you're going. And so how do you get there? You get there by a compass, or, or in these days you use a GPS, right? And that's how you get there. If you don't have that, what are you left with? You are left 
with your own senses, with your own feelings. And your feelings will lead you astray. You can't trust in those. So it's got to be by the compass of the word of God. And so Jesus is talking about the doctrine that he teaches, and he's basically saying, look, this isn't my opinion. This is, this is God's word. This is the compass from heaven. This is like what I have to teach, right? Jesus continues, verse 17. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Right? And so you're either going to teach to glorify yourself and your own opinions and teaching yourself or the teachers that you embrace. Uh, it's all going to be about you know, orienting the compass towards your feelings or it's going to be I want to honor and glorify the one who gave this. This is what he's talking about. Now, keep in mind how the people were arguing about Jesus back in verse 12. And what did their argument center on? Their argument centered on whether or not his teaching was good or whether or not it was deceptive. And so what Jesus says here, listen, if you're really interested in doing God's will, in other words, if you're, if you're listening not to be entertained, if you're listening not to have your ears tickled with whatever floats your boat, right? If, if you're not following after the opinion of man, if you're not following with, a, with an, you know, an attitude that says, I want you to scratch me where I itch, but rather, if you're listening with a heart to follow obediently after God, Jesus says, first of all, you'll know the difference between truthful teaching and false teaching because false teachers seek their own glory, right? And, and it's in contrast to where true teachers seek after God in truth. And secondly, Jesus says that the doctrine you believe will be manifested in how you behave and how the teacher that you're following behaves. You see, remember, doctrine is a set of beliefs that governs what we preach and what we practice, both. It's both and. And this is so critically important because what you believe inevitably influences how you behave. So it's critically important. So having made that point now, Jesus turns his attention to the behavior of the Jews, to the behavior of these teachers of the law who are teaching, you know, the, the, the thing that floats their boat, that scratch them where they itch, right? So now he directs his attention to these teachers. And he says to them, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Now, again, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, but at this point, he's speaking just to the Jews. So he says, why do you seek to kill me? Well, the multitude, the people respond, and they say, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. See, not all of them are aware that the Jews wanted to kill them. Jesus is exercising discernment. He knows that the religious leaders want to kill them. They haven't gone public with that information because the people wouldn't like it. So the people hear Jesus say, you guys want to kill me, and they're like, you're high. What do you mean we want to kill you? We... <laughs> You, you've got, you, what are you talking about? Jesus answered, and he said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision 
not that it is from Moses, but from the Father. See, they would say Moses gave circumcision. Really, uh, uh, um, Abraham uh, instituted circumcision. That's the subpoint that he makes here. And he says, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So Jesus here, he's talking about the healing that he performed on that man at the pool of Bethsaida back in chapter 5 that kicked this whole thing off. And the point that he's making is that the religious leaders are hypocrites. First of all, he says in verse 19, look, you guys are all about the law of Moses, and you don't even keep the law yourself. See, they want to kill Jesus because he violated the Sabbath, and yet they themselves regularly violate the Sabbath to perform circumcision. See, according to the law, circumcision was to be performed on a child after the eighth day, eight days after they were born. So if a kid was born and the eighth day fell on a Sabbath, they would say, well, we're just keeping the law by circumcising him, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's right, and that's appropriate, right? What Jesus is saying here is, look, what, it's okay for you to circumcise a baby, to wound a baby, but it's not okay for me to heal a whole man? Like, you, you think about what you're saying. You, you guys are you're, you're crazy. You're being hypocritical. Not only is that hypocritical, but Jesus points out in verse 19, you guys are planning to kill me. Like, I seem to think the Bible says something like, thou shalt not kill, right? So, so Jesus is like, you guys, are, you're, 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 you're hypocrites. Now, this brings us to our third and final point this morning. Jesus' judgment is different than man's judgment. Jesus' judgment is different than man's judgment. Jesus says in verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, uh, when he says don't judge according to appearance, that word appearance literally means judging by sight or on the face of things, right? I like the way the New Living Translation translates verse 24. It says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. I want you to take note here, Jesus doesn't tell them, don't judge. He doesn't say, don't judge. He says, judge with righteous judgment. You see, when it comes to judgment, all of a sudden, everybody turns into a Bible scholar. It's like, hey, don't judge me, man. Jesus said not to judge, right? Now, they base that on something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, all the while you got a plank in your own eye, right? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, this is the one Bible verse that everybody, atheist, you know, non-believer, believer, all alike, they all seem to know this verse, right? Don't judge, man. You're not supposed to judge. Jesus said don't judge. Look, it's not that we don't ever judge. That's not Jesus' point. 
His point here is that we judge correctly. That's what he meant when he gave that illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. It's what he means here in John chapter 7, right? That we need to judge righteously. See, the Jews are basing their judgment in hypocrisy. They're being hypocritical. They want to kill something, Jesus, for something that they do all the time. Now, again, they do it righteously because the Bible, you know, allows that. But look, Jesus healing this man on the, sub, on the Sabbath also allows that. They had built all these man-made rules and regulations around the Sabbath that they held up as high and even higher than Scripture, but it was non-biblical. Jesus is saying, look, you're being hypocritical. You guys heal people, and, or you uh, uh, circumcise kids, and there's no problem with that, but there's equally no problem with me healing people. Now, I've got a verse to back that up. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. It tells us Jesus went to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And then it tells us they were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. They're trying to set him up. And Jesus answered, if you, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit or into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? And then he answers this question. He says, of course you would. And he says, and how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. But see, the, the Jews, they're judging hypocritically. Not only because they violated the Sabbath themselves and winked at that, but they're also guilty of plotting Jesus' murder distinctly hypocritical and not following the law. Here's the point as we close. As Christians, you and I are called to exercise biblical discernment in our judgment. That means that we have to take captive our thoughts and, and not let our feelings and our emotions get involved when it comes to, you know, judging a situation. It, it means that we have to take a good, long, critical look in the mirror before we go to our brother and say, hey, let me help you with the speck that you've got in your, in your eye when, you know, you have a log in your own eye. You know, the, 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 really the attitude behind that, I heard another pastor describe it this way, that, you know, it, it would be the whole speck and log kind of thing would be if, if you were to say to somebody, hey, you know, last night after I got done, uh, you know, berating my wife and, and knocking her around a little bit and, uh, and, and tuning her up and getting her, you know, to, to behave. And, you know, I punched her a couple of times. But after we got over that, then we talked and we agreed that you have a bad marriage. You know, that's hypocritical. That's like, take a look in the mirror, buddy. You need to do some business at home kind of thing. And, and so the thing is, is that we need to do that. And as well... We need to be careful, you know, as, as you know, the scriptures say that, that we need, to, uh, we need to, to really judge with righteous judgment. We, we, need, we can't judge on the face of things, on the surface of things. We have to really get down to it. Now, we've got a, an illustration of this excellently in scripture. As always, the best, the best thing to, to illustrate scripture with is scripture. You're with us when we went through First uh, and Second Samuel. In Second Samuel, uh, King David, he had uh, he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba, a married woman, 
And, uh, and so then he murdered her husband to try and cover it up. And he kind of thought he got away with it. You know, his conscience was weighing heavy on him and all, but he thought he got away with it. And then the prophet Nathan came to him. And he tells him this story, and he basically is going to call him on his sin, but he starts by, by telling him this situational story. He says, hey, there was this guy, and, and you know, rich dude, had, had, you know, dozens and dozens of sheep, and he was having some company over, and uh, his neighbor, he just had one sheep, and this sheep was precious to him. It was like a member of his family. It was a precious pet. And so this rich guy, rather than slaughtering one of his own sheep to serve dinner, he went over, took the neighbor's sheep, killed it, and serve that up for dinner. So, uh, so David, shepherd boy, you know, what do you think about this? It tells us 2 Samuel verses 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore full for, fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now the law stipulated he should repay fourfold. But the law said nothing about murdering the man. That was, that was a punishment that, that the law of God did not prescribe. What happened? David was judging by his emotions. And he was saying, this guy needs to be put to death. Right? Not only does he have to... to, to to pay, repay, but he needs to be put to death. And then David said, uh, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And this wasn't, hey, you're the man. This was, you are the man. You're, you are guilty. This is you. And of course, David realized then that Nathan set him up, that, that yeah, uh, this is me. So listen, judgment includes first taking a good long look at the mirror, in the mirror at our own behavior and applying the God squad to our own life first, right? But then judgment is a prescription for us as believers that we judge righteously according to God's word, not according to things that, that we elevate uh, or that we look to or emotion or situation or anything like that. I like what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 2. He says, you tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor the Lord by breaking it. So this issue of judgment means starts, starts at home first, right? Two questions as we close today. I'll pray and we'll, we'll be on our way. First question comes with a question and two sub-points. So don't feel like I gypped you out. You're actually getting six questions today, so... Two questions, and these will be up afterwards. If you don't get them all up, they'll be on the screen. Number, question number one, do I pray for the lost, and do I seek to point them to Jesus in love? Here's the sub-questions. What can I do to overcome the temptation to judge people unrighteously, right? And, and what can I do to combat the fear of sharing Jesus with other people? Second question, what doctrine am I following? Am I guilty of heaping up teachers to scratch me where I'm itch? Or am I listening with a heart to follow obediently after God?